Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the New European Podcast. My name is Richard Porritt. I'm joined by Steve Anglesey. Hello, snowflakes. Hello, snowflakes. Um, a little bit later... Matt Kelly, our editor, will be speaking to Caroline Criado-Perez. She's our new editor. She's our new editor because we've had a feminist takeover this week. They'll be talking all about that shortly. And then we'll crown a Brexiteer of the Week, as always. But first, the news. The news. Steve. Bong. Yeah, bong. Um, it's not bonging, is it, at the moment? Not really. It's hardly... It's not bonging, neither bonging nor banging. It's, um, it, it's kind of limbo, isn't it? It's... Um, stalemate, I think. Stalemate, limbo... Well, the EU... It's like being in the Red Room in, in Twin Peaks, isn't it? Just nothing happens. Oh, man, I love Twin Peaks. I know. I was thinking about it only this morning. God. I think it's up for some Emmys, which it should uh, which it should win. That last series was completely wonderful. Was it as was good really... as the first series? Though? Well, it was very different, but mm. I thought it was I thought it was as good, if not better. Okay. Certainly, the episode eight of the third series is is the best thing that I've ever seen on. So television. tune in to the Twin Peaks podcast. Yeah, we should do which that. Is also available. Um, but the, nothing much happens in the Red Room, does it? There's the occasional no. dancing dwarf or a brain on a tree. Um, but, you know, time passes very slowly and so it appears in, in, in Brexit this week. Well, I think it's partly because, obviously, we're in recess. Um, but also, there is certainly an impasse with regards to negotiations. Well, still, yeah. Uh, yeah, but I think the EU is starting to get annoyed about this. Yeah, they, they seem to be getting uh, heads um, up now. Negative anonymous briefings. Is really? <laughs> that's, that's my management style. <laughs> <laughs> Developed over the years. Yes, I'm aware of that. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the, the Prime Minister um, has been accused of chasing a fantasy. Chasing a fantasy. Now, it's good, it, that, isn't it? Isn't it, that a book in the um, Fifty Shades series or something like that? I don't know. <laughs> Quite possibly. Um, the um, Or isn't it, isn't it a Shed Seven song? Chasing a fantasy. It sounds like, doesn't it? It, it sounds be. like a bad Britpop song. Yeah, it should be. Um, and... and Mrs. May hit back saying she that we hit should back. Yeah, saying we should look beyond sound bites. <laughs> That's good. This from the woman. Yeah, Brexit means Brexit. <laughs> Strong and stable. Red, white, and blue Brexit. Extraordinary. Brexit means um, Brexit. We're going to make a success of it. Did she really say that? She did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's the 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 self parody meter is running high. Isn't very it? high and has been for some time. Yeah. I think the problem really with this is that um, no one thinks that either of the customs union options the uh, customs partnership or maximum facilitation yep. or MaxFAC well um, can work. I mean, MaxFAC's nonsense. You just drones flying up and down. and Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think, we're, uh, we're, I think we're all 
convinced, aren't we, that anything that's to do with MaxFac, if they, if for some reason they went with it and the EU managed to accept it, none of that would be able to be in place in years for years and years, and we'd have to have some kind of backstop and. Well, we're talking about 2022 now, anyway, aren't we? Right? Yeah. In 2020. So, but well, I think. What... Do we need Skynet to to have been invented though, <laughs> to, for the for MaxFac to really work? Uh, Just an army uh, of red-eyed drone. Now I know why you cry. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway. Um, but I'm sure but, uh, once Skynet becomes just... sentient, that the max fat will work. <laughs> Our, um, a Whitehall just letting like, this run and run, though, in order to, to keep us... On, on hooks. Well, I, 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 I don't know. It's so, it's so badly planned, isn't it, that you, you just think that... In the end, is, is Theresa May's plan to just go to wait till the last possible moment and then just to go to the cabinet? Right, this is it. This is what we're doing, and everybody's got to back me or get out now, possibly. knowing that she'll win a vote of the full cabinet. I mean, possibly. Or is is it indeed? Let's just not make any decisions and hope nothing ever happens, and we just sort of carry on in this limbo. Well, that's right, yeah. Where, I mean, where at least the economy is growing by 0.1% a quarter. <laughs> <Woo>! <laughs> the bunting remains out. Yeah, yeah. I kept it out because after the wedding, I thought, well, we've got GDP figures in 10 days. Well, then we're going to win the World Cup, oh, aren't we? we? So, yeah, Cup. yeah, you might as well leave it out. Um, if we do win the World Cup, right? Yeah, if we, we do win the World Cup, this is like if there's a highly successful Brexit which delivers £350 million a week for the NHS. I think that's yeah. more likely than we it is, yeah, yeah, go But on. if we do... If we do, yeah, go on. Snap election. Snap election, World Cup. Yeah. Snap election. If we win the World Cup, you've got to call an election. Held aloft, Theresa May getting a tattoo of a big gun on her <laughs> back of her leg like Raheem Sterling. Please yeah. leave... I mean, let's, should we leave Raheem Sterling alone? I well, I, I didn't... I mean, I... I'm a heavily tattooed man. As yeah, you, know, you are. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but I haven't got um, an M16. I think it no, was. they're qu- they're not very accurate, are the M16s? They're sort no, of, which is similar well, to Raheem really Sterling's on... shooting abilities. Yeah, isn't it? well, he's I, mean, I love Raheem Sterling. He's he's he's. he's oh, I forgot you were L's, a Manchester City. He's fan. come on leaps and bounds this year. L's and B's. Yeah, um, well, I, I wouldn't have a. I wouldn't have an M16 tattooed on my leg, but no. it's. Do you know what I mean? When when the son attempted to link it to the stabbing of two people in Wolverhampton, well, that was silly. I think uh, they, you know. But but I imagine that his M16 shooter will be hitting a lot of side nettings and corner flags. Uh, oh, in there you go. There you go. Okay. Well, I'm. You know, Listen, you won't be invited isn't. to mine and Theresa May's World Cup party then. <laughs> when she calls a snap election. When she calls a snap election. Harold Wilson did that, didn't he? He did, that's right, yeah. And he also said he lost in 1970 because England got knocked out of the World Cup. Yeah. Um, and where's he from? Harold Wilson. Yeah. Uh, Huddersfield, I yeah. believe. What a glorious town that it's is. It's a beautiful town. So, Premier League town. Anyway, Premier should we, League town. So should we the, return to the yeah. EU? So, Chasing a fantasy. I mean, I'm with the EU. Hunger Games 6, Chasing it, a fantasy. All this sort of dual brief against us. Well, what they're actually doing is getting out there the fact that there is no negotiations going on. They're sat around the table opening their lunchboxes and reading the FT. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, I don't think. I mean, Boris Johnson's right, not B, reading though. the FT, is he? Tribes. <laughs> well, he's reading an old copy of Viz comic, isn't he? That somebody's censored. Yeah, quite for possibly. Him. And I think, but I don't. I think, and again, I like civil servants. Yeah. I don't think they're massively worried about this. Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, the EU seemed to be 
have, have retreated into a sort of you're going to make us do it mode now, haven't they? They seem to be um, the guy who said the senior EU official who said that we were chasing a fantasy sort of said, you know, you're you're now backing us into a corner and making us do all these unpleasant things that we don't really the want briefings. to do. Yeah, mm. exactly. And, you know, threatening the EU. EU have always been quite leaky and briefy. Well, we? of course they have, and they've always been mildly threatening in the background. Yeah. But, I mean, what they seem to be saying is that these threats are all becoming a reality. I mean, look, you know, when have we got to sort this all out by? By... Yesterday, by June, yeah. really, isn't it? Yeah, by the yeah. end of June. Yeah. Well, well, wait a minute. What's the month? Oh, June. It's June. It's the start of June. So, we really so we've got to, to start this out by the end of the month, haven't we? It's all got to be agreed completely by October. Yeah. Um, and we are Ireland, nowhere near, are no, we? That's a real worry. We're nowhere near deciding what the um, what the, the the role of the European Court is in ruling on. The things which will come out of all of this withdrawal, we're, we're no nearer to um, what we're going to do in relation to um, to Euratom, which is the sort of European mm. atomic energy um, uh, body. Uh, all the science and research stuff that Theresa May talked about in her last major keynote speech and said Britain would be a part of the, these partnerships with Europe, um, France are now appear to be saying. Um, well, no, you're not going to be part of these, uh, part of a partnership with us, uh, with this. And, uh, and, then, and then we've got the whole Galileo. <laughs> um, Don't worry, we're going to colonise the moon. Yeah, we are with Gavin we, Williamson. It's about as likely as us winning the World Cup. Did you see Gavin Williamson yes. with Richard Madeley, by the way? Wasn't it brilliant? Oh, new European reader it was it was at home you haven't it was, seen that it is the highlight was, of the week if, if, my favorite bit though was when the elephant walked past yes, like, can exactly. it just get any weirder exactly it is very funny um it was one of the great moments of the week talking um, to people who make me laugh yeah go on jacob reese mogg doesn't, oh, okay. doesn't want to be prime minister he doesn't want to be prime minister do you believe him not really no it's the most ridiculous lie isn't it it is yeah um he I mean, he's really, he's really gunned for starting on the Sunday shows and then again on Monday. Really gunned for. He's gunned. He's thing. got a. Has he got a gun tattoo on the back of his leg? I'm sorry, I'm a tabloid hack. I was, I'm talk like a tabloid. You do newspaper. talk like a tabloid hack. You're blasting Jacob Rees-Mogg I'm, now. I'm, uh, Richard well, Porritt last night blasted Jacob <laughs> Rees-Mogg. Jacob <laughs> Rees-Mogg blasted his knockers. Yeah, and all of that. Yeah. He rounded on his knockers. <laughs> he, on he called their bluff. He, did he? <laughs> No, he's urged Mrs. May to call their bluff. Yes, he has. In yeah. Um, so, firstly, sorry, I'm turning over pages. It's, at least it proves that I've done some research. Well, you just printed some stuff off off the internet. That's not really research, is it? Well, I, I printed it off a long time ago. I've been poring <laughs> over this for hours. Now. Yeah, I've okay. been up since dawn. Jacob Rees-Mogg, come on, focus. Jacob Rees-Mogg um, says that there is uh, the preparations for for a, a No Deal Brexit are virtually non-existent. Yes. And we should be ready for a cliff edge exit, which is what he wants. Yes. He's kind of got a point, hasn't he? No. Oh, right, why? Of course not. Well, because he's... I don't... I mean, it's because he's a fool. Well, we know, there's no doubt about that. Did you see that great letter in the Telegraph this week? Um, uh, no, uh, go on, yes. I, I do, I, I'm aware how, of this, he, yeah. The, he, he, how saying that Jacob Rees and his son are not traditionalists because yes. they were, they're wearing their suits wrong. They were buttoning them up. All four buttons on his double-breasted suit were buttoned up. And the bottom left, yes, or bottom right, I'm not sure. 
as I'm not a traditionalist, shouldn't, shouldn't be. Shouldn't be buttoned up. Shouldn't be buttoned up. Yeah. So he's so, so he's he's a fool. He's a fool. He's a, look, he's a man who bought his own furniture, as the uh, yes, as Alan Clark once <laughs> said of uh, Michael Heseltine. He told the FT, "Our ability to deliver a no deal outcome recedes with every week that passes." Yeah, good. Yeah, that is good. Yeah, that is great. good. He added, "Planning for a no deal ought to be an essential part of the negotiation strategy." To show we could easily walk away would worry the EU, strengthen our position, and failing to do so would be both incompetent and weak. Well, look, in terms of the of us not having prepared for anything to do with this, he, he's got some semblance of a point, hasn't he? Because we because yes. we haven't prepared for any well, the Irish border. Let's take the Irish border question. Yeah. We haven't prepared for any of this. We haven't prepared for the apart from saying that we're going to turn the whole of Kent into a massive coach park. We haven't really prepared for any sort of. We've not uh, prepared for anything. No, we haven't prepared I mean, it's for not, it's not just Your no preparation deal. for this podcast it's is better than it is yeah. better than yeah. Britain's pre- <laughs> preparation for Brexit. I agree. Um, On the border, he said that um, the Prime Minister's stance on the Irish border is an error and a mistake. Yeah, um, good. Well, he'd know all about that, wouldn't he? Because he's not been to the Irish been. border. He's, he's never been, been and he's, but he's read about it, and he, he doesn't see that it would be in his <laughs> interest to go. go and talk to people about it. He said it was wrong to refuse to play hardball with Brussels by daring to set up a hard border in Northern Ireland. What about if he, we played real tennis with Brussels instead of hardball? Oh, would he prefer, would he prefer that? Real t- it did, didn't it? Why don't they do real tennis anymore? I don't know. Real tennis with Jacob Rees-Mogg. Well, you see, we, as a child, growing up in a you know, one-up, one-down, Coronation Street style... Oh, you're really laying this on thick it's today, aren't you? Joke. He's weeping. It's not even a joke. Go we on. used to be able to play real tennis. Real down, tennis. Down this back alley, because there was a sloping <laughs> roof on one side. Right? <laughs> <laughs> not a joke. So there were some kids in yeah. a very working class area of Yorkshire in the 1980s playing real tennis. The, the Huddersfield <laughs> Real Tennis Society. Yeah. Excellent. And we got good at it. Great. We didn't have a net, though. There you go. Prince Edward was involved in it, wasn't he? In the real tennis not on in, Channel 4 not programme. Not in Huddersfield. No. Not in, no. Yes, he was. He was, yeah. Strange sport. It was a strange sport. Just hit a ball There's a bit on a of roof. the court called the dead ends, isn't there? <laughs> Is that the bit that they put the ball on? That's the bit where if you hit the ball into it, it just the ball just stops on the floor. It seems like it, like they just sort of made up the rules as they went along. Well, I think he just basically... Who invented it? I've, they just basically had a... a bit of, in Windsor, didn't they? A room where they played yeah. it, and in, on a bit of the floor, it just stopped. So they, so they went. That's in the rules now. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, um, Jacob Rees-Mogg then, to who? Uh, so he turned up for his interview with Mar, didn't he? Yep. With little Jacob Rees-Mogg, yeah, mini, his little mini me, mini Mog, in tow, and. You know, and two weeks before, he's there with. I don't. Is it normal for politicians to bring their kids into dressed as themselves to to TV well, interviews, um, or is it part I, of his strategy? I've interviewed many politicians. I've never interviewed any politicians' children. No, but Brian Clough used to take his kids everywhere. Well, he did, yeah. So maybe it's Cluffian. Maybe it is Cluffian. I mean, after his sort of very cosy chat that he had in his kitchen with oh, Kay Burley. Um, I can't help thinking that this is all a bit of a, a, a ploy People by Jacob Rees-Mogg. Oh, oh he's, he's brought mug. his little son with him. 
And the, it, the suggestion, though, that he d- he said there was no malice in his words towards Theresa May, and she was the finest prime minister of all time, or something ridiculous like that, which he clearly isn't. Well, it's He's not been the finest finest prime minister of the last no. two years. But um, but once again, this I mean that is is a, another stunning example of the fact that, and you know, the, what will ultimately count against Jacob Rees-Mogg, as it has counted against Boris Johnson, who is now probably the most unpopular politician in the country, is that the more you find out about these people, the the more you find out about these people, the the more you dislike them. And the more Jacob Rees-Mogg puts himself in front of the cameras, and this is why he has to invite Kay Burley into his kitchen and turn up with his lookalikes on, is that people will realise that he's not a very nice person and he's a massive hypocrite. Jacob Rees-Mogg... Let's do a little list of the nasty things that he's voted for. Let's, well... I mean, we can, bedroom tax. The bedroom tax, you know, he opposed gay rights every step yeah. of the way, you know. He, Anti-abortion. Yeah, of course. And then, so he comes on the TV, and I forget which, which interview it was, of the three that he, he did recently, but he came on and said that the Irish referendum result had made him very sad and that uh, life was, was sacred at, from the point of conception and all of that. Um, and then, but this is Jacob Rees-Mogg, who's, who's firm, put, as we know, put last year put five million quid uh, into a, I think it was an Eastern European company, wasn't it, who made pills that are used to uh, facilitate abortions. And then, you know, then we had, after the Salisbury attack, we had Jacob Rees-Mogg saying that all Russian assets should be frozen mm. um, and it was a disgrace and Theresa May must act. And then we, it, we find out that Somerset... Capital uh, Management, which is the firm that he co-founded and he still takes a, a, a fee from, um, has got 217 million quid stake with Russian companies, many of them banned in America because of the close links that their bosses have with, with Vladimir Putin. And then we see in today's, and we're recording this on Thursday, so you're hearing it on Friday. So in Thursday's Times Diary, we see that um, he was asked, he's now saying that... Um, him being asked about his feelings about abortion and religion by uh, Joe Coburn of the BBC um, was an act of religious bigotry by Joe Coburn. And then we find out that while he was at um, Oxford uh, and he was running the Oxford University Conservatives um, Club, he banned somebody who was uh, in the Unification Church, the Moonies, from speaking um, because um, he said that people who had those religious beliefs shouldn't be allowed to control, um, you know, uh, 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 places of power, positions of power in a political organisation. So a hypocrite is a, one word. He's a hypocrite. Complete and utter is another. That is, yeah. Um, but I mean, obviously, what is the Latin for complete and utter wanker? Uh, anyway, we'll we'll find out. He would know. <laughs> he would know. I'm not sure. Well, Latin's a dead language. So they probably hadn't. Says, says the real Huddersfield's or, real tennis or, fan. Or, or, did you not do? Did not have a Latin club as well? <laughs> Let's not be fooled. He says he doesn't want to be prime minister. That's not true. He he will happily force a leadership challenge and he will, and he will stand. I, I think probably he wouldn't win, but he definitely wants to be prime minister. This, the, like you say, the thing with his son, all this nonsense is him not just wanting to push a hard Brexit through, he's seen an opportunity to lead his party. Completely, yes, I, I, so, I totally agree with you. Please, do not believe his nonsense. Uh, coins, I like coins, I prefer notes. Uh, yes, um, I like coins too. Um, the Daily Express got really excited by this. The Sun and, did as well. And they said that we were going to have our own 
new Brexit currency. Well, no, we're not. What we're what what they're talking about doing? Not quite. The yeah. Royal Mint are talking about issuing some commemorative coins, aren't they? Commemorative crowns that you'll be able to buy. And uh, and we asked our readers what those crowns, those coins should have on them or or, or the yeah the, the actual coins aren't there to to commemorate um, us leaving the eu just like we we had a coin a couple of years ago to mark the anniversary of shakespeare's yeah birth, and we, we had or, um did we have enid blyton or something like that enid well? blyton do we have one to mark the birth of ed sheeran or yeah i don't know do you know where he was born ed sheeran Huddersfield, is no, it by any chance? No? no, next to Halifax. In Halifax. But it's okay, Suffolk, you can have him. That's good, yeah. <laughs> Literally yeah, yeah, yeah. take him, keep him. So, so yeah, so we're going, to have some, we're going to have some coins that are going to be a bit Brexity. What are you going to do? What If you get one of them coins, what are you going to have to, you have to throw it at someone? Or? I throw it at the nearest, um, yeah. You're quite lavish with your cash anyway, aren't you? So you I am, so I throw money around. The are going to have to use these coins. Well, you are, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going. What I'm going to do is I'm going to make a bed of them, right? And then I'm going to heat them gently, and then I'm going to cook slices of gammon on them. That's a great idea. Yeah, that's a lovely use idea. them as a little gam- barbecue gammon barbecue. Oh, I'm glad you put some thought into it. Um, I must have the readers and yeah. listeners of the new. So we asked them what should be on the coins, didn't we? Why don't you go first? So I'll go first. So we asked people what should be on the coins. John Bennett said the Latin inscription on the coin should be Sic Transit Gloria Mundi, uh, which, of course, Jacob Rees-Mogg would tell you uh, translates to Thus Fade the Glories of the World. Oh, you should let me do that, because uh, I'm good at Latin. At Powder Our Noses, say, the Latin inscription should be Harbe's Igita Somos, which translates as We Are So Screwed. Mm. Clifford Griffiths, Clifford Griffiths, I could say that name over and over again. Clifford, Clifford Griffiths, Griffiths, that's Griffiths. a great name. Isn't it? What do you think Clifford does for a Clifford living? Clifford Griffiths, it's like um, an anchorman thing, isn't it? He's a, yeah, a voiceover artist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clifford Griffiths. Clifford Griffiths says it should. <laughs> um, I'm doing it. it I've ruined it there. Yeah. yeah, try again. Clifford Griffiths <laughs> says it should say uh, the coins. The coins should say Cliff Griffiths. Yeah, Cliff says Griffiths. the coins should say uh, I promise to pay the bearer three hundred and fifty million pounds a week. <laughs> Reese E.J. Danino yeah. says the coins should have on them a nice little bit so you can scratch off the numbers and write on the new value, the lower value of the coin in crayon. <laughs> That's a good idea. And then we have various ideas, and I know you've got some there as well. Yeah. Various ideas about what the sort of the, um, you know, the, the, the visual, the, the visual yeah. should be. Pablo Mars said it should be a chess pawn surrounded by dumbbells rampant. Rob Mars Ward. Is a great name as well. We've got some really Pablo great... Mars. What a name! He should be a pop star. I'm Pablo Mars. Yeah, Do you know my friend Clifford Griffiths? <laughs> Cliff Griff. Uh, Professor Cliff Griff. Um, Rob Ward said it should be a unicorn stabbing itself up the arse with its own horn. Ooh. And Daniel Ledger uh, said it should be a dodo. And you've got the others. Jutta Weber. Yeah. It might be Jutta Weber. Jutta Weber. Yeah, um, a Mad Hatter would be a good symbol. Yeah, it would well, be good. True. And at Blue Unicorn Moon, people love unicorns at the moment, don't they? They do, yeah. A plot to piss in. Jonathan Clive Cooper said Britannia cutting off her nose and then a thin and mangled lion. Yeah. Yeah. And Richard Howard, Britannia sinking below the waves. This is a good one from Toby Knight. Yeah. Johnson and. F- oh, no, this is revolting. <laughs> Oh dear. Johnson and Farage in a 69 position on one side, Trump and Putin double header on the other. 
enduring image, isn't it? Dear me. Um, uh, my favourite, as always... Darren Leithley. This <laughs> Darren Leithley, who we should probably just get to come and work for us. Yeah, we, we should do. pay you, Darren. No. <laughs> he, he's got a few here. I'm going to save the best for last. Burnt Bridges. Yep. The Will of the People, exemplified by a side of gammon. Could yep. be one of your gammons, couldn't it? Could be. Theresa May's hollowed out soul. <laughs> but my favourite, because... Although I'm a Remainer, obviously, one of my favourite front pages of all time is the Sun's Up Yours Delores front. Yes. Which is... Uh, what, it, it would d- be Forget brilliant. about the sentiment, it was a brilliant front. We should definitely have that on a coin. I wouldn't throw that away. Up Yours Delores. Maybe we should also have that um, that great Daily Telegraph... Uh, Daily Telegraph? Great Daily Express front cover from a few weeks ago. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was really... Which had the, a cliff edge, <laughs> didn't it? And it said, forward to the future on it. Here Someone we go. Yes, yeah, so Someone think, was taking the mic. I think it, it may have been Mickey taking that. Thanks, Steve. We're going to hand over to Matt Kelly next, who is with Caroline Criado Perez. Stay angry. Fight Brexit. Subscribe to The New European. Your first 13 issues of The New European are only £13 when you join us and become a subscriber. Order by telephone by calling 01858 438840 and quoting Podcast One. Or order online at our website, www.neweuropean.co.uk. Stay angry. Fight Brexit. Subscribe to The New European. Great to be here with you, Caroline. (laughs) I'm here with Caroline Criado Perez. Yes? Very good. I mean, it was a bit forced. Yes. Slightly slightly embarrassing. That's me all over. <laughs> and I have been forced to this point where you are actually editing the, I can't believe <laughs> the new. <laughs> what does that mean? Something horrible? Right, we better start this. No, <laughs> it doesn't mean something horrible. Just like the dad puns, really. Oh no, I am though, aren't I? You've already established that. You just that. did a dad pun. I'm terrible. Okay. Um, well, anyway, you are editor this week of I the am. new feminist, which I am. is. A it's a takeover edition. Takeover. I don't yeah. want to mansplain to you what your paper is. Um, I don't Tell know. people. Did, so it's a feminist takeover edition uh, in the style of the Gorilla Girls. We've come in, spray painted over the original cover and uh, announced that from now on it's a matriarchy over here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and no one is more relieved than me, believe me. <laughs> You've taken the pressure right off. Um, and how did we get into this? It, it didn't start off as such a wonderful no, there was collaboration. No, there wasn't, there wasn't much laughter to start off no, with, was there? There was tears no, and anger. No dad jokes no, that I was aware just of. Just abuse. <laughs> <laughs> so um, basically what happened, as you will find, you'll find out the full details in The New Feminist. I've written an excellent editorial mm-hmm. um, explaining all of this. But briefly, what happened was that um, I was on Twitter, as is my want, and I saw, um, I believe, my friend James Ball, who was a regular columnist, had retweeted the new European tweet of the latest cover. And I looked at the cover, um, and I, I actually don't remember. In my head, it was all white men on the cover. Names of white yeah, men. Names yeah, of yeah, white yeah, men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All names of white men on Apart the cover. Apart from the white man called Angela. But anyway, let's okay. pass. <laughs> maybe that, maybe yeah. I said, maybe yeah. there was one. That's why I said, I, as far as yeah. I remember. Anyway, yeah. so, um, and I have two, um, so that sort of ticked two triggers for me, which is not an idiom, but anyway, it ticked two triggers <laughs> for me. Um, one of which is that I hate the way women have been sidelined in the Brexit debate right from the beginning. Um, it's been incredibly frustrating and I've written about it a lot and yet it carries on happening. Um, and so I really wanted the New European to be 
a paper that spoke about yeah. women and used women's voices. Yeah. And second, um, just in general, the media is terrible at female representation. Um, women uh, have about 25% of front page um, bylines. bylines. Yeah, right. um, so... I saw this and I thought, you know, I've got nothing better to do. I thought I was actually editing my book, but since it was January, maybe my edits hadn't even come back yet. So I was literally had nothing better to do than pick a fight with Matt. Yeah, we didn't <laughs> so, know each other from Adam, did we? But no, I'd, I'd never heard of you before. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I didn't know how fighty you were. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I tweeted um, a very funny tweet about the new European being the same as the old European. Just a bunch of white men. Just a bunch of white men. Yeah. And um, anyway, Matt didn't take kindly to that and he didn't no. reply in the way that I had expected, which was to say, Thank you so much for pointing this out, Caroline. Yeah. I'll certainly sort that well, out for you in well, future. That is, that's <laughs> and that is. I mean, so Caroline and I had this wonderful. It's probably still there somewhere, but no, this, my tweet's set to auto delete. Oh yeah, mine I went too. and searched for it. Yeah, and yours so have gone as well. After three months, oh that's great. And that, by the way, is a really good thing to do. I think if you're on Twitter, is I just, delete mine every yeah. week. Do you? Yeah. Wow, I put mine. I see three it months. as an infe- an ephemeral yeah, medium. Yeah, yeah, good, and it so, should be. And, yeah. and and by the way, I think the idea of people getting absolutely pilloried for stuff they said five or six years ago, you know, is just delete your questionable. Tweet, yeah. Absolutely right. Anyway, so we had a great argy-bargy and slagged each other off. But what was interesting to me was... <laughs> just for the listeners, he's now wagging his finger at me. Yeah, am I, <laughs> did I do that consciously? Let me tell you something. Yeah, you, young honestly, lady. Let me put you in your place. <laughs> what was really interesting... Now I don't know what to do with my hands. I'm going to sit on my hands. What was really interesting was uh, was people wading in. To mm-hmm. me, and, and against, that's fine, against me, you know, and having a go at, at the level of uh, inequality, which I didn't think existed in the paper, but, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the thing seemed to be, you know, don't defend yourself, just mm. accept it and thank Caroline and move on. <laughs> right. Which, you know, obviously, as things have turned out, we've obviously got to know each other and we're doing this wonderful thing. This week, which is a great positive. And I realised that it would be very out of character for you to, for me to, to thank me and move on. <laughs> to thank anybody. <laughs> Certainly not. And, uh, but here's a weird thing. And we, we had a little conversation about it over email or on text or something. And I said, you know, that was the thing that grated against, for most for me, was this yeah. attitude was just shut up and accept it. You know, and, and you said, yeah, don't try and defend yourself on Twitter. And there's definitely some truth in that. You know, you can't win. You can't. No, you can't win. And, and I think on Twitter, it's a very unforgiving platform. Uh, people are looking for a fight. They are looking to pile in. And usually by trying to defend yourself, unless you can 100% demonstrate yeah. that it's a fabrication yeah. or, you know, um, ultimately you just tend to make it worse. Yeah. Um, because if there's any room for attributing bad faith yeah. or of taking the other side, people will do that. And people tend um, to. And I have learnt that from many years of being a high-profile woman on Twitter. And getting loads it's of just, stuff. Yeah. You just have to ignore it. There's yeah. no point defending yourself. So what um, do you? What's your other trick you told me today about how to well, filter I'm not, out? The... I'm not saying that I'm here. <laughs> Come on, it wasn't that big a trick. <laughs> Still not saying. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, Caroline's got a great trick <laughs> to defend herself on Twitter. <laughs> anyway, um, I mute a lot of people. Yes. Oh, do you? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you block them? I've Only if they're serial people. offenders. Right. Okay. 
I've started sort of blocking them at an almost Owen Jones rate of, of block blockage. <laughs> wow, that is... Yeah, no, it's like auto-block. That's you know. severe. Yeah. No, I, I auto-mute. Like, as in, you don't really have to do anything for me to mute me. Just slightly irritate me. Yeah. I just, oh, shut up, go away. What a stupid comment. Yes, I just sort of think, you know, I'm not paid to do this. Yeah. This is kind of my space yeah. and I don't have to listen to stupid people yeah. so I won't that's, I honestly couldn't agree more that's, that's why I <laughs> but I also you. don't want to give them <laughs> I did mute you actually I know you did yeah. I know I was like how do I insult her now <laughs> um, you're unmuted now of course <laughs> well we follow each other now um, we do yeah. we're the best we are the best of pals um, but yeah I I don't uh, I quite like people um, not knowing that I can't yeah. okay. hear them. That's good. And yeah. so they just carry on screaming abuse at me. <laughs> and I just have no idea yeah, what's happening. And occasionally I'll expand a tweet and I'll just see this person's muted, this person's muted, this person's <laughs> muted, just going on forever. Clearly all my fans <laughs> telling Perfect. me how much they agree with me. Perfect. Anyway, <laughs> we at the end of this Twitter row, I said, well, write a piece for us, didn't I? Yes. And, you and I told didn't you to yeah. off. You did, yeah. <laughs> I said, uh, no chance, not interested. And I kept on because I'm tenacious. And well, I, we have I a mutual... said no because I, I didn't want it to be about me and me getting a platform. Because yeah. that wasn't what it was about. It yeah. was a feminist point for me about women's voices. And I felt that if I were to then write a column in your paper, it would cheapen the point I was trying to make. Okay, so you thought... So I wasn't just being bolshy. Yeah. There was like a feminist reason No, that's good, no. I get that. <laughs> and, but we have got a mutual friend, James Ball, who is yeah. a columnist on the paper as well, because yeah. James Ball's deconstructed. And uh, you were out with him, weren't you? And I said, well, tell Caroline she can edit the paper if she wants. And, and <laughs> put it to you, you were probably a bit pissed. And you said, I yeah, pretty, I'll do that. Pretty pissed. I'll do that. <laughs> and how's it turned out? Because you have been, you've been editing for the last, basically, yeah. what, last two or three weeks you've been commissioning. Yeah. Um, so editing is... More difficult job than I had realised. Really? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also really amazing yeah. and really fun. I've really enjoyed it. And it's been great to be able to um, commission some fantastic writers um, and, you know, get the stories out there and the takes on stories out there that I personally want to read. Yeah. You know, it's like having your, your own toy box. Yeah, You get to sort of set it up exactly how you want it. Yeah. Um, which is amazing because I am a control freak. Yeah. So. Well, I, I, my theory my... is that we—I don't want to be presumptuous, but I think we're probably the same personality type, almost. And exactly, then I'm also going to be a cult leader one day. You, yeah, no, you can't go into the cult thing. <laughs> cut, cut, yeah, cut. You, are, you are a cult leader. Anyway. Are you calling feminism a cult? Did you just do that on radio? No. <laughs> I was talking about dogs. <laughs> No. Um, anyway, so you've got some amazing writers in the paper. I, I, to be absolutely truthful with you, as I've seen the procession of amazing stellar names coming in, I've been going, oh my God, this is going to be better than my paper every week. Yes. So terrific. Um, and we've put all of my great writers, or most of the male ones anyway, to mm -hmm. one side. Yeah. And they've all had a week off. Yeah. And the one writer we're keeping, James, our yeah. mutual friend, is taking a pay cut. Right? Yes, he is. Why is he taking a pay cut? Because uh, men, because I hate men. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, because of the gender pay gap. There's a symbolic yeah. pay cut. Yeah. He is taking one for the team. Yeah. What is it, 18%? Um, it's, I think the, the gender pay gap in 
Britain is 18.4%. Uh-huh. So that is the pay cut Great. that he will be taking. I had thought it was 20%, and he has very insistently told me that I'm incorrect. Well, he's good on the it's 18.4%, yeah. and he won't yeah. take a penny less. Yeah, it's yeah, about 1.6%. <laughs> but it's an amazing paper. I mean, there's never been anything like it, I don't think, in the UK press. Uh, totally dedicated to... I mean, you'll to, know more than... Well, I, I can't think of anything that, that's been totally thrown over to the topic and it's you know again we were talking earlier well there was that great on. article that sarah has written for the piece yeah um sarah dighton yeah where she talks about how in america i think in the 70s a group of feminists went in and took over right. this american it was like an american left wing but very macho very um you know had women with their tits out while also talking about marx right. Yeah, sounds good to me. I'm sure it does. Well, did you know that the Daily Mirror started as a woman's paper and it had an all-female staff? So 1903... What happened? Yeah, no, well, it's an illustrative story. 1903, Cecil Holmesworth launched this new title, the Daily Mirror, to capture what he saw as a new emancipated constituency of women. And it had a woman editor, entire female staff, they marketed it on the first issue, but giving away a free vanity mirror that you had to collect. I was wondering when for. that was going to yeah, come yeah, into you know. it. Right, so okay. it was—I mean, it was clearly <laughs> of its time, um, and it just didn't work. I think it was that, that idea was obviously ahead of its time, mm. and it didn't work. And they turned it on its head, and they did this picture newspaper instead. This, so they had big front pages just full of photography, which is, was also completely new and right. innovative. But it did. The paper started as the paper for. For women. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, and I worked on the Daily Mirror for a long time, so I feel like I've realised Cecil Harmsworth's dream now. Well, congratulations. Thank you. No, to you. See, I mean, what, what happened there is, have you seen the Onion article, man oh. finally put in charge of struggling feminist movement? <laughs> so, like, that's you, and that's I, great. Congratulations for rest, rescuing feminism. Think, well, I, yeah. I like to feel that one day there's a, there's a plinth for me in Parliament Square. Um, sure. No. Sure. Why not? Do people know what you? Why? Why you? Why? You know? What have you? You've been campaigning for feminism for so long now. Well, um, you, but not you've achieved. You've really long. achieved stuff, though. That's the. I haven't actually been campaigning that long. How many um, years? So uh, since twenty late twenty twelve. Okay. Well. Um. So no, not really that long, and I only discovered feminism a couple of years before that. Yeah. So I've I've been a feminist. For not even a decade, actually. Wow. Um, I guess I've got the you know the fervor of the new convert. Yeah. I'm like a born yeah. again yeah, yeah, feminist. Yeah. yeah. And and but but tell the folks at home what you've done. I mean, you were responsible for Millicent Fawcett's statue. Yeah. So um, so the two big campaigns that I've run are getting a uh, a female or keeping a female historical figure on the back of Bank of, Bank of England banknotes. Um, because they announced that they were going to remove Elizabeth Fry and replace her with Winston Churchill, which meant that they would all be men. Mm. Um, so I campaigned for them to not do that. Yeah, successfully. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, they agreed. And um, one of the things that... I mean, the most important thing for me, which is something that never really gets mentioned, and you'll probably cut it out of this because it's very boring and wonkish, but... <laughs> we like um, boring wonkish. Okay, so. good. <laughs> um so my argument was that their um, selection procedure was biased and that it was biased in such a way as it was not surprising that they kept ending up with white men. Yeah. Um, 
And so as well as agreeing to put Jane Austen on the back of the £10 note, they changed their their selection procedure by consulting with a whole wide variety of groups, yeah. which was, you know, what I wanted, because that means that hopefully this will never happen again. Yeah, um, and then the next thing that happened, well, it wasn't the next thing that happened, but, you know, the next campaign started um, because I went for a run um, that took me through Parliament Square. It was International Women's Day. I had one event in the morning, one event a few hours later, had my dog Poppy with me, yeah. as I so often do, and she needed a run. Uh, um, so we went for a run along the river, and I went through Parliament Square, and I ran past Winston Churchill, and I ran past David Lloyd George, and I ran past a guy called Jan Smuts. Yes, funny I'd statue that. Looks like he's going to fall over all the time. He's got his. No, he just looks of, like a bluff military type. He's got his sort of leg behind him like this, like he's <laughs> that is halfway through a dance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Abraham Lincoln's there, and you know, yeah. But anyway, so I, well, I I just sort of thought, hang on a minute, are they actually all men? Yeah. Um, and I really didn't think that could possibly be the case because Parliament Square is such a high-profile place, um, and we've been talking about the underrepresentation of women in culture for quite a few years now. And I just thought someone else must have done this before I send an angry tweet. tweet. So I sometimes do think about my tweets. Before I send an angry tweet, I'm just going to go and count all the statues and make sure they really are of men. And indeed, they were. So I sent my angry tweet um, and, you know, kind of hoped someone else would do the campaign instead of me because I didn't really want to do another campaign. Um, Campaigns are not actually very fun. They take over your life. They're exhausting. Um, Obviously, they're unpaid. (laughs) Um, So it's... Uh, it's a, just a stressful, long, drawn-out process. Plus, after the last one, I got sent a whole bunch of rape and death threats. And I wasn't really like keen on the whole idea of yeah. starting a new campaign. Um, so I sent a tweet and carried on running, and I just couldn't get this bloody square out of my head. Um, and I was running through St James's Park and Green Park, and um, ultimately I realised I was composing the campaign text in my head. Mm. Um, and at that point realised that it was inevitable <laughs> I was going to have to campaign yeah, on this. Yeah. So I uh, set up a petition on my phone yeah. and just over two years later, we unveiled the statue of Millicent Fawcett Which in Parliament a, Square. I mean, I know two years is a long time, but I thought actually it was incredibly quick, given well, the fact that it takes a long time to get the statue. Yeah, I mean, in in the sort of statue terms, that yeah. was very quick. Yeah. Um, in my patient's terms, it was extremely slow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And why Millicent Fawcett? I mean, obviously we... Um, so there were a number of reasons. Um, so after having um, started the campaign, I then started to do a bit of research on statues in Britain. And I counted all the statues in the public monuments database. I counted them by hand because you can't um, disaggregate by sex right. on their database. And, you know, I, I have fun as a feminist counting <laughs> statues. Um, so it was a great weekend. And um, actually, I'm really glad I did do that in the end because I uncovered like loads of really weird things that I wouldn't have found otherwise. Mm-hmm. Like there are more statues of men called John, um, of like real life men called John, than there are real life historical women. Full stop. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, uh, that uh, two point, I think I counted 2.7% of... Uh, the statues in Britain are of named historical women. 2.7. 2.7%. Um, it's higher if you include royalty, 
and that's in, almost entirely because uh, Victoria, Queen Victoria, just really loved putting statues yeah. of herself up, yeah, yeah. Um, which I kind of, I kind of have a grudging respect for, you know, like it's there's <laughs> something quite ridiculous about it and very unladylike in the Victorian era. Yeah. Um, so, um, but most of the statues are allegorical, unnamed, um, quite often abstract, and if they're not abstract, they're nudes. Yeah. And so I had this template of things I didn't want. I didn't want an anonymous statue. I wanted it to be of a named woman. There were so few named women and so many of them were repeats that I wanted it to be someone who didn't already have a statue. So that ruled the Pankhursts out. Um, and then the other stuff was, you know, I, did, I wanted her to be a stateswoman and not young and naked. Hmm. Um, so, you know, once I'd ruled out the Pankhursts and given the space... Um, the council was clear it had to be one of the leaders um, and given Millicent Fawcett amazingly doesn't have a statue I mean if she were a man she would have loads of statues and were the council like on board straight away or did you have to well you had to go through the planning process and so they don't say we're on board you know it's all very poker facey but can so so what's the it's a that's odd isn't it so you have to apply for planning permission do you as a citizen to say I want to put a statue there Um, well I, so I did it with the Mayor of London. Okay. So there are two groups you have to uh, get to agree for that specific pe- space. It's a weird space. So the Greater London Authority has... Uh, it's like one of them has jurisdiction over it and the other one actually owns the land or something right. else. So it's Westminster Council and the GLA. So I started off with um, the Mayor of London and got them on board pretty quickly. And so then we put in this planning application. So I think it technically yeah. came from the Mayor of cool. London. Yeah. And then it went to planning yeah. and they said yes. I mean, how could they say no? I mean, that would be... Well, they could imagine? have said no. There, yeah. was, there, was another, um, there was another planning application that went in at the same time for, for a statue an... of Pankhurst. Okay, okay. Um, and um, when I originally heard about that campaign, I sort of thought, well, it seems stupid for us to not work together. Like, why are we both you know both presumably are lovely feminist people who want to go for the same thing anyway we went for a meeting and um it didn't go very well and uh they they were very very um insistent that uh it had to be pankhurst um and at the time they were planning just a sort of replica but bigger of the one that was already in victoria tower gardens i mean that was the other thing pankhurst literally had a statue just across the road that's right so not only does she already have a statue, she already has a statue within sort of one mile radius. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, we couldn't agree. Um, and so we ended up going without them. It's great. And it's a really distinctive <laughs> statue. There's nothing quite like it. She looks amazing. Yeah. And, she, and she's um, carrying this banner, right? She's carrying this banner. And I think she's the only statue uh, to represent Tweed, which I think is very cool. Oh, wow. So um, most of them are smooth surface and they've actually so the other very cool thing two very cool things about the statue one it is the first statue by a woman in parliament square Uh and second um it's the first statue i think in britain that uh where the mold was 3d printed oh wow which is awesome and it's got the great slogan hasn't it courage calls out to courage everywhere i really love that um not just because it's a very sort of uh like it's a great phrase, but also the context, which is, um, she said it uh, referring to the death of Emily Welding Davison, right. 
who was the suffragette who threw herself in front of King's Horse and died. And, um, you know, the reason I like that is because, you know, the suffragettes and suffragists are often presented as if they were mortal enemies who just didn't get on, which is obviously ridiculous because they were both fighting for the same cause. They Mm -hmm. both wanted votes for women. Um, They just had different ways of getting about it. Um, going about it, and um, and I, what I the the other reason I really like it is because people, I think partly because we have this weird image of them as having being antagonists, when in fact you know the people were members of both WSPU and the NUWSS, and they went between the two, um, and they sometimes worked together. Um, is that I think you know it's a fundamental misunderstanding of how change happens. Um, and people like to think that either the suffragettes got us the vote or the suffragists got us the vote. And, you know, if you know anything about campaigning, you know that, yes, part of it is making a big noise and getting in people's face. But a huge part of it is also about bringing people with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't be all one or all the other. You have to be both. Yeah. Um, There's an interesting analogy with Brexit, isn't it? Because we, we it started out as two very polarised camps. And I think at some point last year, people started to recognise that they were going to have to win an argument, you know, and bring mm. people with you. I don't know how, I don't feel like either camp's I, been I don't, particularly I don't successful think at that. that. <laughs> no, no, no. Also, I'm still like yeah. very, very anti Brexit. Yeah, yeah. So I oh, haven't been. Yeah. What, what do you hate about Brexit? I mean, everything. Everything, yeah. I hate the sort of jingoistic harking back to a. Can I swear on this yes, podcast? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, harking back to this bullshit bygone age that existed for a very specific set of reasons, mm-hmm. i.e. empire. Yeah. You know, that's why we had all the money. That's why we were so great. We don't have that anymore, which is good. Yeah. But it also means that this whole Britain's just brilliant because we just happen to be superior and we don't need the EU. It's just absolute rubbish. Yeah. Um so it's it's the idiocy of it that really makes me angry. Um, the idiocy of it mixed up with the racism of it. And then also as a feminist, you know, it's just clearly a bad idea. The EU has been incredibly important for women's rights. Yeah. Um, and is behind a lot of the uh, rights that women take for granted in the workplace today. Um, and all of those could be up up for grabs yeah. uh, when we leave the EU, which is terrifying. Yeah. You know, I don't want us to end up like America with no maternity yeah. leave, no maternity pay, no sick leave. Um, and there have already been examples of the coalition government trying to, um, but you know, this was before Brexit, trying to get rid of certain parts of uh, EU legislation for for women's working rights. And they couldn't because of the EU. So we already have evidence that they'd like to do this. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, so what's going to stop them when we leave? Nothing. This is what, um, I mean, that that's the overriding sentiment that keeps me passionate about this, is that I just think people are being conned, you know, yeah. by people with very clear self-interest, but are somehow presenting themselves as men are the people or women yeah. are the people. And, and, and referring to other groups of people as some sort of elites, you know, yeah. for arguing against them. But they are, they're conning people, you know, yeah. and the people at the end of the day who are going to suffer are ordinary people living in some places that need help, not hindrance, you know. Yeah. So anyway, you know, hopefully... But um, I think that the Remain campaign is partly to blame for that because they didn't actually make an effort to 
talk about how the EU impacted on ordinary people yeah. in a real life way. They spoke about things that people don't have a visceral grasp on, like GDP yeah. and you know banking. Yeah. You know, and, and immigration that's just, targets. Yeah, you know, so just get, doesn't mean yeah, anything yeah. to anyone. I've always what means something to someone is, will I get fired if I get pregnant? Yeah. You know, will I have a minimum wage? Yeah. Will I have a job? Will I have job security? You know, all these things which would have been relevant and important to talk about, they didn't talk about. So no wonder they were able to sell the line that, oh, they're just a bunch of sort of uh, bureaucrats who don't know anything about real life, because that's what they sounded like. I've always thought it was tragic that, I mean, Liverpool, I've said this before, but Liverpool that voted to remain quite strongly. Mm. And the northeast of England, very similar demographics, similar kind of problems, similar issues, voted the exact opposite way. And the reason Liverpool voted in favour, I think, is because they'd seen the EU at work. You know, they'd seen the mm. Capital of Culture programme. They'd seen inward investment for a place that the Tories had literally written off mm. and said, you know, just manage the decline of Liverpool. And Liverpool now is this great cosmopolitan rebirth. But wasn't you know. that the same with Cornwall that got a lot of EU investment and they voted to leave? They did. So And also Wales voted to yeah. leave. So it's not... It's not uh, there's no kind of straight line you can draw on this stuff. Yeah. But maybe because it's a smaller, more concentrated. Yeah, yeah. But it's a, yes, and I think more rural as well. You know, so uh, Liverpool obviously has a kind of internationalist yeah. outlook yeah. anyway. But it was a shame that Liverpoolians go, couldn't go and talk to people in the northeast. Yeah. You know, and say, you know, look at this, rather than Ed Miliband or David. Well, Cameron, exactly. You know. That's the other thing. You know, these people like Cameron and Miliband going off around the country. Yeah. Again, yeah. that's not the way no. <laughs> to like present yourself as a side that is speaking for the people yeah. and comes from the people. And of course, as I've mentioned before, they barely mentioned women at all. But I guess, I mean, look, next time round, if it happened again, if you could go back, we'd, we'd be more active, you and I, you know, and, and, you know, there would be no complacency about making the case for the EU, whereas I think, I can't speak for you, but for me, I just assumed Remain was going to win, you know, and... I wrote some articles, yeah, some very yeah, strongly worded pieces. Yeah. I wrote a piece for Grazia because I was like, I've got to get out of my new statesman bubble. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how the Grazia readership voted. Well, anyway, Probably look, to remain. The, uh, the new feminist this week is, it's an absolutely outstanding piece of work. So congratulations on, on your first editorship of a newspaper. <laughs> it's gone exceptionally well. Um, do you want to tell people a little bit about what's in it you've got it'll be on sale as as people listen to this right so, yeah okay why should they go out and buy the why new feminist well we've got a banging piece from helen lewis yeah um which i think is one of my favorite pieces of the whole am i allowed to say that is it you like the kids like. you're not allowed to have no favorite. you can have favorites yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah um she's written a brilliant piece uh, which, if any of you are on Twitter, you may have seen um, people like Toby Young saying, oh, we like referendums, do we now? Mm. Um, following the repeal of the eighth um, success. And so she has written a wonderful piece absolutely securing that argument. She totally nails the It's so good. Yeah, yeah. Oh. What else have Suzanne we got? Moore's right. Suzanne Moore's piece. written a yeah. beautiful, just, again, another piece that just makes you think, ah, this is amazing. Yeah. Um, about basically becoming an older woman and just no longer giving a f yeah. which is what I aspire to. Yeah. I hope one day I'll get there. Yeah.
Come on, you tell me who else. Well, there's Afro Hirsch. We've got a cast list. She's written a great piece. Connie Hook has written a great piece about trying to teach Charlie Brooker to drive. Oh yeah. Get her to get him to drive. Well, she hasn't got him to drive. No, to try to <laughs> get him to drive. Connie Hook has written a great piece about failing to get Charlie yeah. Brooker to drive. Yeah. Uh, uh, and there's some terrific stuff about uh, uh, fashion and uh, you know a very different take on this strange phenomenon yeah. of, uh, of yeah. Of so I fashion. hate. Yeah modest fashion yeah. it's this weird term modest fashion um and um we've got a great piece from marian uh, namazi uh writing about why she thinks it's not yeah. uh, not a good term really another piece i really really like is um anna kessel who is a sports journalist looking at um the issue of hyperandrogenism in um olympic sport um so the story of castor semenya and basically how this the sports world which you know is this very unwoke yeah. um area has somehow become the battleground for what it means to be a woman um sort of the last place you'd expect to have this kind of debate and but that is where it's it, taking place it's got that extraordinary illustration which you flagged up where yeah. it's like a checklist of what Amazing. degree of woman are you, you yeah. know, how woman are you so you know if you have a certain amount of hair in a certain place you're not a woman yeah. according to this chart incredible um, it's amazing yeah incredible so look it is absolutely rampacked as Jeremy Corbyn says of absolutely he says that he says rampacked yeah okay. not jam-packed that's, or rammed that's nice. he says rampacked <laughs> What does he say it about? He said it about that train that he lied about having to sit uh, down in the, in the thing. Yeah, so it was totally rampacked. He said. Well, maybe that was his way of signalling. But it was a load of bullshit. Yeah, and also yeah. He, his way of saying, "Help me, yeah. <laughs> get, get me away from these people." <laughs> yeah, I don't think he was comfortable. But anyway, it's, it's, it's absolutely it's an amazing thing. I think obviously, I think people should go and buy it. But it's unique. I agree. I do you agree? <laughs> I agree. Great. Anyway, listen, thanks. You put so much effort into it. I didn't know how it was going to play out when I asked you to do it. And I thought maybe you'll pay lip service to it and we'll have to fill it in. But you've done an absolutely outstanding job and the, the stuff is brilliant. So go out and buy it. You know, if you buy it in enough numbers, maybe we could do it again on a regular basis. That would be cool. Listen to the man. Yeah, listen to the man. Did I just mansplain you? <laughs> no, <it didn't. laughs> Brexiteer of the Week. Welcome back. Steve has joined me again for Brexiteer of the Week. Steve, make him funny. I can't make him oh. funny. Oh. I can't make him funny. Brexit's too serious this week. Mm. Um, but you know what else Brexit is? It's uh. one of the greatest days of Martin Daubney's life. <laughs> do, you, do you know who Martin Daubney is? Have you, are you aware of this bloke's work? I, yes. He used to be the editor of Loaded magazine. Yes. He's... He's actually worked with a couple of people I know on FHM magazine. Oh. Now, I don't really know what he does, but he comes on Sky News every week or so, and he basically says, but when is it International Men's Day? And stuff mm. like that. He seems to be a men's rights a men's rights campaigner. Right. Anyway... I can't see him getting the chance to take over the new European anytime soon. Not really, no. No, I think his journalistic <laughs> career may... If he's got ambitions in that direction, uh, I think, mm. unfounded. Anyway, he turned up on Sky News, as he does, uh, and he said uh, that Brexit Day was one of the greatest days of his life. What, what he the said, vote? He said, I still recall Brexit Day, oh. what I call Independence Day, as one of the... Finest days of my life after the birth of my children. Hmm. 
uh, it was a sucker punch from the silent provinces, which was who were ignored in the media. Yeah, of course, because people like Nigel Farage were really ignored by the Absolutely. media. But it's saying that Brexit Day is the, one of the finest days of your life, it seems to be, after the birth of your children, it's the third best day in your life. So what's the, what was the best day of your life? And let's take out children, well, and that, let's take out Brexit Day. Well, yeah, Brexit Day, that was probably the best day of my life. I, I don't know. It would, I mean, it would obviously be days that involved a lot of music and laughter and drinking with friends, of which I'm lucky to have, to have had many of those. Really? It wouldn't have been Brexit Day. Anyway, I thought I would look through Martin Daubeny's um, history and see what other things that he thought were absolutely brilliant yes. and ranked up there with the birth yes. of his children. Sexist James Bond, he thinks that any moment when James Bond is really sexist in films is brilliant, and he said that he doesn't want Bond to have his sexual politics realigned at enforced yoga retreat, fed a subsistence diet of juiced wheatgrass, and given a lifetime subscription to feminist bleach sheet Vagenda. That's the kind of thing that Martin Daubney writes. So he likes that magnetic. So he likes basically, yeah, yeah. He likes the old sexist James Bond. He also likes the cover line on a magazine, which I think is probably the single most offensive thing that I've ever seen on a mainstream magazine. In July of 1996, FHM magazine had a it was they had a motoring special. Right. Uh, and they the cover wasn't a car, obviously. The cover was a picture of the actress Samantha Janus, who you may remember, I and I New do. European reader, you may yes. remember Samantha Janus. Yes. Uh, she was lying front down on a bed. She was she hadn't, didn't have any clothes on. She had a bum out, mm. and over the bum, Chilly. to 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 sell their motoring special, it said in massive letters, "Fill her up." And Martin Daubney says that is genius and one of the greatest cover lines ever. So that's up there with Brexit, and then and then. His other, one of his other great days of his life was when he was 10 years old, and he's wrote a piece, written a piece about this for The Sun, was when Martin was looking for his Christmas presents when he was 10 years old, oh. and he was looking through all in his dad's wardrobe. Yeah. And do you know what he found? Oh, God. He found a load of porn magazines, Playboy, Razzle, Fiesta and Hustler, uh, and he said Russell. it was a rude sexual awakening. It made Basically, he's saying it made him what he is today. I still joke with my dad... Uh, when I discovered, and there's no polite way of putting this, that he was a My discovery didn't taint me, but rather it kick-started a healthy conversation about sex with my sister and with what? older male neighbours who what? said, yeah, my dad has got mucky books too, I'll swap you some if I like. So, let's just to recap, the things that are as good as Brexit in Martin Daubney's world are James Bond when he's being sexist and revolting, repulsive leering cover lines on magazines and swapping poor magazines with older men when you're 10 years old and that tells you all that you need to know about Martin Daubney and we will never speak of him again on the New European podcast. Why do porn mags still exist? I don't know but anyway. Who's next? Uh, Robert Kimball um, we must. I must shout out to the great Michael Deacon of the Daily Telegraph for this one. I do like Robert Kimball. Do you know who Robert Kimball is? He's a. Uh, he's become. He's a UKIPper from the northeast who has become fairly successful on Twitter. Um, I think he's got about forty thousand followers uh, because he tweets a lot of statistics and stuff about business, which purport to show that Brexit is really working. Of course, we haven't really seen the 
the worst effects of Brexit yet because we've not left the EU. And also, he just generally tends to tweet about British businesses doing quite well and, you know, British businesses are good and we're happy to see them doing well, but it's nothing to do with Brexit, Robert. Anyway, uh, in December 2015, as Michael Deacon has pointed out, Robert Kimball tweeted this, Our history decided who we are, but in no way does it determine who we will be. Our future will be glorious. Hashtag leave EU. This week, Robert Kimball tweeted, We survived the bubonic plague of 1603, brackets as many as two and a half million dead, the civil war of 1642 to 1651, brackets 211,000 dead, and the great fire of 1966, unspecified numbers dead. We can certainly survive Brexit. <laughs> so and you know what Samuel so Pepys re- did? Yeah, yeah. Buried his cheese. He buried his cheese. To that's, save it from the fire. Whenever think, there's a fire, that's what you must do. I think before Brexit, we should bury our cheese. We should do. So Brexit is not quite as bad as a, uh, a civil war or the bubonic plague. Okay, not quite as bad. Okay, well, that's reassuring. Do you know who else has been talking this week when he shouldn't have done? Much like Jacob Rees-Mogg. Is it Tim Martin? It's Tim Martin of Weatherspoons, the yeah. patron saint of the morning drinker. He's a wally. He's a big gammon-faced uh, blanker still, from you're uh, still not going into Street Fighter 2, look you're, like. you're still avoiding the spoons. No, I'm not. I, I'm, oh, you I, are I, no, 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 I'm not in there. I, 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 there's no Weatherspoons in my life. Right. But I do you live. Actually do live but I do in live upstairs. You from actually live in the same building as the Wellspoons. I do. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if you saw his interview this week. He said three things. He said that Theresa May should show some steel, and they need us more than uh, we need them. So let's just talk about they need us uh, more than we need them. Our exports to the rest of the EU are twelve percent of our GDP. Uh-huh. The EU's exports to us is three of the three percent of their GDP. They right. do not need no. us more than <laughs> we need them. Sixty percent of our trade goes through or to the EU. Ten percent of EU trade goes through or to the UK. They do not need us more than we need them. And we got yes, we've got a, there's a big trade deficit between the EU and the UK, but that is mostly based on Germany, isn't it? They yep. sell much more to us than we sell to them. But we're a relatively insignificant market for Germany. We are about uh, well, it, they they sell seven times to the rest of Europe what they sell to us, mm. and that's even before we start thinking about what they sell to the rest of the world. So the tariffs that we put on them aren't really going to matter to the Germans. They're just going to sell to other people. We do they do not need us more than we need them. So that's number one. Tim Martin. The other thing he said, which I thought was amazing, was he said to get a good deal you need options. If there's only one pub or supermarket in town you pay over the odds. And that's really interesting, isn't it? Because it's the logical extension of what Tim Martin's business model is with yeah. Weatherspoons, <laughs> that there is only one pub in town. Because, I, you know, I love pubs, as you can see from my physique, yeah. and it breaks my heart that all these great pubs in town and city centres are shutting down, and Tim Martin's big soulless palaces with no atmosphere are thriving because of loss-leading, is loss-leading... Um, uh, prices and you know part of it is obviously because uh, small pubs are shutting down because of ridiculous taxes on alcohol mm. to drink in pubs versus when you buy alcohol in supermarkets and part of them are because of mismanagement by the big pub co's um, who squeeze all the last penny out of the tenants and they also squeeze the last penny out of you and me when they're drinking them but it is 
a lot of it is down to Tim Martin and his knockdown prices and his loss leading prices driving competitors out of business. I wonder what will happen to those prices, by the way, when Tim yes. Martin has driven all of the competitors out of the market. So that's the second thing. The third thing that he said, which I thought was really interesting, was his, I've got a four-point plan in the event of no deal. And his four-point plan is this, cancel the exit fee, whatever it was, 60 billion euros, wasn't it? Or whatever we're paying them. And that will obviously, the knock-on effect of that was it will make it harder for businesses to trade with Europe. It will reduce the chance of us being allowed to participate in the sort of pan-European projects that we talked about before, Eurotom, um, Galileo, uh, cancer treatment, security, all those kind of things. He said we should quit the single market and the customs union. That is going to be financially disastrous for British business Absolutely. and obviously will result in a bonfire of workers' rights, but he doesn't care about that. He should said we should take control of our territorial fishing waters. Great, but as we've talked about on this podcast before, it's that's fair enough, but our fishing industry isn't massive to begin with yeah. and it's also built on exports, which will become much more difficult to deliver. Um, after Brexit. And the third, the fourth thing he said was that we must grant citizenship to EU migrants who have legally settled in that, this country. And that seems to me to be, you know, that's great. Well done, Tim Martin. But I can't help thinking, that is it because when you do step into a Weatherspoons, there seems to be quite a lot of EU workers working there. Might be there, something to do with that. Don't there? And it would, be, would it be more difficult for Tim Martin to hire people to work in his uh, huge soulless alco barns after brexit and would it be more expensive if he had to hire british workers i think you've i think you've found him out so that's tim martin the brexiteer of the week uh, however is uh, lovely lord lawson yes um, late break at this one yeah a late breaking one um Lord Lawson, you remember him, don't I you? I do, absolutely. He's sort of reverse foot pump, isn't he? Yeah. Many, most people become fat over yeah. time, don't yeah. they? He became fat, clearly. We knew yeah. him in his pomp yeah, yeah. when he was a big ruddy man, and now he's sort of, he's been, he's been sort of, the air's been squeezed out of him, yeah, hasn't it? deflated. He's all jowly. Yeah. Um, he's Nigella Lawson's dad. He is. He was the chairman of Vote Leave. He's the type of man who calls his daughter... Nigella, After, when his name is Nigel. Is Nigel. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Not even Farage tried that, did he? <laughs> no. no. Um, and um, the big news about him is that um, he's broken off from telling us how marvellous it will be when we put Europe behind us yes. to apply for something called a carte de séjour. Do you know what that is? Uh, it's like French residency. Yeah, it's permanent residency in France. So yeah. the man who instructed uh, us to vote nice. leave is going to reside permanently in France. And he said um, that we shouldn't worry about this because it will be um, it's tiresome but not serious like most of the after effects of Brexit. Well, frankly, I don't blame him. No. Um, <laughs> no. But it is rather a hypocritical stance. It is. So Nigel Lawson is a Brexiteer of the Week. I w- we will wish him a long and happy retirement in France with his jowls baking slowly in the heat because, oh. of course, he doesn't believe in climate change, does no, he? No, 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 no. I don't need to put any, any sun cream on, he'll say. That's the invention of snowflakes and cocks. Fairly foul image once more on this podcast. What should the listener do The right listener... Now? The listener should um, leave us lots of lovely reviews and um, big star uh, ratings on whatever your podcatcher of choice is. 
if you don't know already, we're also available now on Spotify, aren't we? Yeah. As well as through Audio, Boom, iOS, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at uh, Sanglesey, S-A-N-G-L-E-S-E-Y. You can follow The New European on Twitter. You can. At The New European. You can go to Facebook. Uh, you can like us on Facebook. We also have a, a very active, very good New European readers group too. So, uh, so join that. And you can follow me at Porritt, P-O-R-R-I-T-T. Thanks, Steve. That was the New European Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. If you haven't already, go and buy the paper. It's £2.50. As always, there's lots of politics and there is some Brexit, but there's also lots of culture and lots of discussion about feminist issues, as you will have heard. We'll be back next week. Until then, Mr Campbell, play your bagpipes. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.